Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast, is brought to you by Fan Mail. Buy monthly subscription box. Buy Lady Geeks for Lady Geeks. You can find more information about Fan Mail at myfanmail.com. You can also use the promo code Mayday to get 10% off your first box right now. Also brought to you by Mine, a comics collection to benefit Planned Parenthood. Support Planned Parenthood with comics by Neil Gaiman, Gabby Rivera, Amber Benson, Gerard Way, Yona Harvey, Mara Wilson, Kelsey Herks, and more. Uh, you can go to the Kickstarter page if you go to comicmix.com and scroll down and be right there on the right-hand side. You'll see the link or go to their uh, Twitter page, at Comic Mix, and you can find it. There are 22 hours left as of right now uh, to contribute to their page. They did meet their goal, so it will be coming out, but there's lots of stretch goals and cool things you can get if you contribute, so go check that out. And also brought to you by Nina Diaz, a fantastic singer, songwriter, lead singer of the band Girl in a Coma. She is touring right now with her band, uh, touring on her solo album called The Beat is Dead. You can find information about her at ninadiazmusic.com and follow her on Twitter at, at ninadiazmusic. So check her out. Uh, fantastic voice, fantastic artist. Once again, ninadiazmusic.com. Welcome, everyone. This is Justin made it a handmaid's tale podcast uh what you're about to hear is part one of a three-part interview that we did with warren littlefield he's the executive producer of the handmaid's tale also executive produces fargo and was the president of nbc from 1990 to 1998 uh, also an executive there from i think 1980 to 98 obviously uh, so we talked to him uh, it was an honor uh, obviously a person with so much experience and you know knowledge of the industry it was fantastic to be able to talk to him and someone is so intimately involved with the handmaid's tale production uh we wanted to talk to him because obviously he's got a lot of emmy uh experience the nbc network when he was the president there won uh, 168 emmy awards just a staggering number that is unbelievable uh the emmy awards are this sunday september 17th at 8 p.m eastern time on cbs they will be hosted by stephen colbert so that should be a good time uh this past weekend they had the creative arts emmys uh which honored do most of the technical stuff um was that weekend but also uh, alexis bodell won for best guest actress in a drama series uh, handmaid's tale also took home best cinematography for a drama series and best production design so already some hardware under their belts um, i'm fairly confident they are going to win some more up for uh, 13 nominations total and uh, so the rest of those will be on this sunday once again september 17th 8 p.m on cbs uh, so we talked to warren littlefield we are releasing this uh one interview each day for the next three days so we're calling it 20 minutes with warren because it's about an hour long so 20 minutes apiece for three days uh so we'll be releasing one today tomorrow and sunday so hope you enjoy it it's uh it's fantastic he was great we can't thank him enough thanks for everybody at hulu for helping us get this uh, interview and set everything up and thank you for you uh for all of you for listening we also wanted to know from our social media followers uh what would you like to ask warren littlefield what do you want to know um, so Anya Norris, one of our followers on Facebook, she wanted to know about the first time that Warren Littlefield read Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale. So that is definitely answered in this interview. Uh, there's a great story about him reading uh, Bruce Miller's scripts and then sitting down and reading the book. And he expounds on his feelings on both of those things. It's pretty good. And then Patty L. wanted to know what got him interested in The Handmaid's Tale in the first place. And that part is definitely covered in here. So Patty L., Anya Norris, thank you very much for contributing to our interview here with Warren Littlefield. Uh, once again, you can find us on social media at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's at Handmade Podcast. It's at Handmade Podcast. Without further ado, 
part one of our three-part interview with Warren Littlefield. 20 minutes with Warren. Here's your first 20 minutes. Thank you. Hello and welcome. This is Justin, and you have come to Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. Uh, joining me today on the line for an interview is Warren Littlefield, executive producer for Fargo, former president of the network of NBC, and of course, for our purposes here, executive producer of The Handmaid's Tale. Warren, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much, Justin. No problem. Thank you for joining us and taking the time. I really appreciate it. So the Emmys are this weekend, which is one of the things we want to discuss with you. So can you um, talk to us, A, about the Emmy Awards you've already won? We had the uh, Creative Arts Emmys just this past weekend where uh, you guys took to home some well-deserved awards. Uh, talk to me about those. Um, well, it was uh, it was a pretty triumphant and wonderful night. Um, we 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 felt the love of the Academy um, when we were uh, at the Microsoft Theater on uh, Sunday evening. Um, Alexis Bledel um, won um, for her uh, portrayal um, of uh, Off Glenn, but she also plays the Off Glenn and Emily, um, and uh, she was magnificent in her acceptance. Um, really just it was a celebration for the work she had done and also i think kind of a call to order of uh of the world we live in and what our responsibility is so um well done alexis um and and then colin watkinson our director of photography um was also a winner and uh colin really helped create the kind of tapestry that that look of the handmaid's tale um almost an impressionistic painting if you will um and um it's what it's what we've gotten uh a really a tremendous tremendous amount of uh, of kudos for um so uh that was uh that was really exciting and then you also took home some awards for uh, the production design with Julie Burkoff, Evan Weber, and Sophie Nerdhofer. Yes, and and you know production design, um, there was such detail that Julie and her entire team brought to it. Uh, they agonized over every what every wall, the color of the wall, the texture, the depth of it, um, and and when we were in Serena Joy's sitting room um and serena joy is is dressed in in blue the walls had this a different shade of blue but it all reflected her room and who she was and um we they agonized over the detail of those sets of the design um what every location was transformed into um, you know, we don't uh, we don't operate with uh, with HBO or Netflix money, um, and in fact, they made it look as though we do. Um, they they delivered a scenic design, um, a production design for this show that had a second to none, um, and um, and I think as our actors perform in the, that environment. It's part of their transformation. It's part of what they're able to bring as they bring those characters and bring the dialogue that uh, that Bruce Miller has written, as they bring that to life. Part of it is they absolutely believe 
in where they are in the worlds that have been created. So it's really important on what you're telling us is that the production design not only helps the viewer, obviously, because it kind of immerses us in that world, but is also just as important for the actors. I think so. I think it's all part of the, that creative whole, um, you know, that creative circle of life, if you will. Uh, um, we also, we're presenting a world of Gilead. It's kind of an alternative universe. And so we need to say to the audience, this world is real. It exists, right? And And if you violate that, you, I think you have a fallout of uh, you're not there with the drama. If you think that world looks made up or fake, it would take you out of the dramatic situation. So um, everything that that Sophie and and Julie and Evan brought to their production design um, enhances our dramatic narrative. So talk to me about putting together that team and. Was that one of the first, is that one of the most important components early on to find really that team that you know is going to bring the A game and make it look as good as possible within the constraints of, like you're saying, not Netflix money, uh, within the constraints of your budget. So making it look good, uh, but also staying within the financial responsibilities. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's an interesting dynamic when you put together the production team. Um, you you want people to that have amazing left brain functions and also right brain as well. Um, so it is, it is truly the collision of art and commerce. Um, and, and so we looked at, um, we looked at people um, all over Canada where we shoot in Toronto. Um, and then we opened it up really to production designers um, from the UK from um, from Australia, New Zealand, from all over the United States. Um, Julie uh, resides in Los Angeles. Um, and the more we looked and engaged, we felt um, that she just had a sensibility. Um, and, uh, and she got it. She, she got what she got the essence of what Bruce had created, um, all with with a tremendous respect for Margaret Atwood's underlying property. But Julie embraced it. She understood it and uh, collaborated extremely well with Reed Morano, who is a Emmy nominee for uh, for her directing. Uh, Reed Morano obviously directed, for those that don't know, um, probably most of our listeners who are very passionate about this show would know, she directed your first three episodes. And I will tell you that from watching those, um, she is amazing. And those set the tone so perfectly for building this world of Gilead and how dark and how just the tension that you guys built through those yeah. first three episodes and the way she was able to do that. And I know reading and listening to some of your other interviews, uh, she was not necessarily not necessarily a well-known name. And so there was a little bit of a fight <laughs> you had to put up with to get to her. Yeah, right? yeah, it, that, that's absolutely true, Justin. Um, uh, she doesn't have an Oscar. Uh, she does have awards for being a director of photography. Um, she had directed one small film called Meadowlands, which is not in any way analogous to Handmaid's Tale, a completely different look, but with very little money, 
uh, a deeply uh, emotional and and satisfying uh, story. And um, and then when we engaged with Reed, uh, we just said, "Wow, she just has a." badass attitude, um, one that we loved. Um, she really seemed to get this show um, and understand um, both as a uh, director of photography, her her strongest resume suit, to also a young, budding director who wanted to prove something. And and I, I kind of loved that um, she's got a chip on her shoulder sure. to say, look what I can do, um, and I am ready for this job. And she brought that to it. She also presented to us um, a lookbook um, that was over 60 pages of visual imagery to support her vision of the show and even a soundtrack, um, uh, which I had never had a director also submit um hey, this is the music in my head that I wanted to share with you that I think uh, really plays well against uh, against the story. And, and she really hustled in order to be given this opportunity. And I think it was one of the most critical decisions that Bruce Miller and I made. Um, and we were united in saying, uh, she's the one. Um, so, uh, yes, people said... Uh, she doesn't have an Oscar. And we said, no, that's correct. She does not. Um, but um, we're excited to have her. And our partners at MGM and at Hulu um, embraced it, which is not insignificant. That's a big leap. Um, and I waited about a week until uh, everyone signed off on her directing the first hour. And then I just said, well... I'm looking at the schedule, and uh, I think it would just make more sense if we have her do the first three hours. Um, and uh, uh, I was I was told, um, well, you realize if you're wrong, that it's over. You know, the show will die. We will not recover from that. And I said, well, that's absolutely true. Um, but if we're right, we will have solidified ourselves for the entire first year. And um, and by the way, we're screwed if we're wrong anyway, because she's directing the opening hour. So um, I think we take the risk and we go for it. And again, I have to say, our our partners at MGM and Hulu embraced that risk, and it was such a critical part of bringing The Handmaid's Tale to life. Now, talk to me about you. Obviously, have all the experience that you had from your time at NBC, and. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you probably went through a lot of conflict there with trying to get things on the air, uh, things you probably wanted that didn't happen and things that you didn't want that came on the air and maybe didn't work. Was there anything in your experience uh, from NBC and your other time doing producing that you weren't prepared for when producing The Handmaid's Tale? Anything different that you showed up and was like, wow, I didn't expect that. And you maybe weren't necessarily prepared yeah. for it. Well, it's a good question. You know, I feel I've been doing this a long time, but I feel like I'm still learning every day. Um, uh, sure, uh, I, I have a degree in psychology. Um, I've used that my entire career, I think, in trying to put um, creative talent together, form a team, and and ultimately execute a vision. Uh, but it's very different being an executive, where 
you um, sit at a level uh, above the creative process and say yay or nay. Um, and it's another thing to then be deeply immersed in executing that vision. And and so um, they're different muscles. It's exciting for me because I'm involved in the the, the detail, the wonderful, sometimes ugly detail of what does it take to execute a vision. Um, and um, I'm fueled by that. I, I, I love it. And, and in the world of content creation, it, no two days are the same. We're not doing the same thing. We're not creating a widget where there should be nothing different about it. Um, every single um, uh, piece that we manufacture should be the same. No, that's not true at all. Every day is a different set of creative tasks to ultimately bring about something that is a whole and and fully satisfying journey and adventure. So uh, I, I, I love the challenge of that, and I'm still learning. That's good. So you, I assume you're one of these people that feel like once you stop feeling like you're challenged or get to that point where you're like, oh, yeah, I know everything I need to know about this, that you're kind of screwed, right? I, I, I think uh, you're bored and you should stop. Um, uh, it's a, uh, But uh, I don't see that in sight right now. Um, uh, I love the challenges that each and every day uh, are in front of me. Excellent. So let's talk about how you became involved with The Handmaid's Tale. And I know um, through other interviews seeing you, you and uh, Elizabeth Moss are in the same agency, correct? Yes, we're both at WMA. And so they kind of called you when she was tapped for the lead role and kind of wanted you to shepherd her more or less. Were they looking for someone to kind of be on their side with her to help out with her role in this? Well, they said, look, Elizabeth is interested in this property, um, but we feel as her representation that um, the kinds of projects that she's been involved with have had um, a real, real strong uh, patina of, of creative excellence. And so she, her career kind of, she got on the map with the West Wing. And then, of, of course, Mad Men, um, she exploded and became a household name. And, and then Top of the Lake, and you look at all those auspices, and those are remarkable. And, um, and I think in the world of, of television, you know, it does take a village. And, um, and, and they said, look, we want Elizabeth, if she's going to sign a series contract, a multi-year series contract, not not a 10-episode anthology where she gets to walk away, but she's going to commit to another series, something she doesn't have to do um, and something she wasn't planning on doing. They said, you know, we want protection and, and uh, we'd like you to look at this and tell us if you're interested. Um, and, and so, of course, uh, the attraction that I had was the the success of Fargo and 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 being an intimate and critical part of of that um, I think gave me a certain shine that was attractive and and I read Bruce Miller's first two episodes and I thought 
this is extraordinary. And then I sat down and read Margaret's book, and uh, which I knew of her book, but I had never read it. And then I sat and read Bruce's two scripts again and said, um, look, I've, I have a lot of development that I'm working on. I'm slowly ramping up year three of Fargo. Um, so this makes no sense for me to get involved in The Handmaid's Tale, except for one reason. It's exceptional. I would, I'd do anything to be a part of this. Um, and, um, and then uh, they said, well, Lizzie Moss is in Australia doing Top of the Lake, too. Um, uh, get on the phone and, and uh, have her uh, embrace you and have her commit to doing the series and uh, let us know how that goes. <laughs> and I, I, said, I said, well, I, I've never met her, um, but I'm an enormous fan. And they said, well, uh, here's the phone number. <laughs> And Lizzie and I spent over two hours on the on that call, and um, you know my pitch was that she's in a place in her career where um, she has choices. She's worked very hard and done very well to give her choices. Um, and I said, I if if you're not offended by it, I, I'm I'm kind of in a similar place for myself right now, but I don't know how to let go of this. I don't know. I don't think we should. And Lizzie said it would kill me if I had to sit and watch someone else in The Handmaid's Tale. I have to do it. And I said, well, if you do it, I'll do it. And she said, let's do it together. And and that was it. Um, and um, and kind of with Lizzie and with Bruce Miller and myself, we feel like we're a, there's a, a wonderful triangle there um, of of everyone bringing a lot of respect and an incredible amount of work into making the show what it is. And from everything I've heard and read and seen and just how the production has come off and everyone you hear interviewed about it, it seems like you guys really hit a home run with almost every aspect of this team. It's remarkable for our first season that, that it would all come together the way it has. You're absolutely right, Justin. Um, and and I, I think there's a sense like we've all had in our careers where we've where we've worked on things that you know we hoped were pretty good, but in our soul we knew that they were okay, right. just okay. And and feeling the power of Margaret's book, what Bruce had written, every single person in front of the camera and behind the camera had this sense of. Wow, this could be really good, very compelling, and it might be important. Um, and then we woke up midway through the season, and uh, we had the election, and um, and lo and behold, Donald Trump became president, and we all kind of came together and went, okay, we really better not screw this up now right. because we had seen and felt the rise of the alt-right. Um, we, we had, we'd seen the vote of Brexit. Um, and, and we, so we, we weren't naive. We brought that into when we first began production, but, but the next shoe to drop was the Trump presidency. And, and I think it probably in some ways bound us even more closely together. Um, and saying, look, we're 
We're doing the world of Gilead. That's not the same as Trump. But there are parallels to the rise of the alt-right and and what they do to women's rights. Um, and make no mistake, we're in a we're in a war each and every day for women's rights. Um, and uh, and I think it really helps solidify us as a as a group. Um, and so it, it's been a remarkable experience. All right, that wraps up part one of our three-part interview, 20 Minutes with Warren. Stay tuned for the next 20 minutes here in a little bit. And don't forget to check out our radio station, Handmaid's Resistance Radio, what is our partnership with Slacker Radio. You can download the Slacker app free from any app store. You can also go to slacker.com and listen for free. Once again, that is Handmaid's Resistance Radio. And that features all the music from The Handmaid's Tale, as well as music of resistance, inspiration, and rebellion. Awesome, awesome stuff. So check it out, Handmaid's Resistance Radio on Slacker Radio. 